to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. Chris, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Yeah, it has. You've, you've been a world traveler since I last uh, spoke to you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that's part of it. But also, just, you know, there's not much going on in Mets land right now, aside from the search for a new manager. And so we are down to, you know, it's hard to get a handle on just how many candidates are actually out there right now. Because new people are seemingly popping up out of the woodwork, I'm not really sure how that how that keeps happening. But here we are, and it keeps happening. Um, is there anybody that you think is like? Well, I guess let's go through the candidates we definitely know right now. So we know uh, Carlos Beltran, Eduardo Perez, Tim Bogar, uh, Derek Shelton. From the uh, the Twins bench coach, and is that all we know so far? Is there one more that we're still made aware of? I think you got them all. Oh nope, uh, Tony DeFrancesco. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's, that's it's that's, been hard to keep track, honestly. Yes, it has been, which is a weird thing to say because there's not, there was never this gigantic pool of candidates. You know, a few have slipped off here or there, but it's. They're just you're not hearing about guys not making it. You're hearing about new people joining all the time. Um, so, is there anybody? And I know we talked a little bit about this the last time we recorded, but is there anybody that you're particularly high on of this group of five? So it's still Carlos Beltran for me, and I think it's just because. Oh, I'm sorry, Pat Murphy, also a mystery candidate. Oh, yeah. But I thought Jeez. Pat Murphy came out as a mystery candidate, but he's not still involved in the interviews. Oh, but that, for... that could be true. Sorry to interrupt them. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. For all we know, he could still be involved. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Beltran is is somebody who I've been a fan of for a long time. Uh, so that certainly factors into the equation. But uh, the, the things about him that I like are just that he's he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Uh, I feel like that commands a, a, a certain level of respect in a clubhouse. Uh, he's not that far removed from playing. He's not even Hall of Fame eligible yet, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so he's, he's young enough that he can relate to players, and he's played recently enough that he... Obviously, I'd say it's close to being fresh in his mind. Uh, the way the Astros players who who played with him in 2017 talk about him, uh, whether it's Carlos Correa or uh, I forget specifically who, but there are a couple other players who were saying how he was like having an extra coach uh, when he was a player on that roster. All that stuff, uh, you know, this we know he does tons of great charitable uh, work in Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, we, we certainly have learned over the last several years that you can't know somebody that you don't know in real life. But right. from all appearances, it seems like Carlos Beltran's a pretty solid dude. Uh, 
seems to have his priorities in order. He's been working for the Yankees. I forget if it's both of the last two years or just this year. Uh, so he's been involved in baseball, even though he stopped playing. All that stuff combined with the fact that he was such a smart player when he when he played for the Mets and, and throughout his career, too. It's just those were the years we, we got to really know him. Right. And uh, obviously for years I've hated the people harp on one strikeout. But, I mean, tell me if my memory is off. But over the span of seven seasons or six and a half of watching him as a Met, he just never seemed like the guy who made mental mistakes. And his he was physically, obviously, extremely gifted. So you'd combine that 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 aptitude for the game uh maybe i'm just you know not remembering any any hiccups along the way but he he just was never the guy who would forget how many outs there were he i don't remember him being a guy who would make a stupid mistake on the bases he just seemed like he had everything fully under control uh and and the one thing that fans might harp on him for is is just the reality of competition at the, at the highest level of the sport. Yeah, you, you know, sometimes you can be gifted and sharp and still you get beat because that somebody's got to lose, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so it's hard for me to really speak with with total accuracy on the first couple of years of Beltran's uh I can't say Beltran, Beltran. I can never decide in my mind how I pronounce pronounce it. I've heard it both ways, obviously. <laughs> But I, I think, I go back I think either way is fine as long as you don't do the full-on uh, John Miller, Carlos Beltran. Right, exactly, yes. Like, <laughs> uh, but Neither of those trying too hard is the biggest crime. I right, think. of course, yes. Uh, anyway, Beltran, Beltran, whatever. Um, <laughs> the first couple of years I was watching him, I don't want to say I was a dumb Mets fan, but I wasn't as hopefully informed as I am now. <laughs> Some would still say I'm a dumb Mets fan, but, you know, I, I didn't understand what I was looking at as well as I do now. And so there are there are things I remember, like there was one time early on, I want to say it was in 05, when um, he was up in the you know first or second inning of a game and he bunted for a base hit. And people were very upset about that because they were saying, we're paying this guy a hundred and blank million dollars to hit third in our lineup and he's going to bunt for a base hit. And, you know, first of all, you shouldn't bunt. We know that. But Beltran's bunting wasn't a sacrifice for no reason. He probably saw the third baseman playing back, and he knew he could get it down and get a base hit. That's smart baseball. At the time, I was not one of those shouting that he shouldn't be bunting, but I sort of felt like, well, here's a guy who's trying to do too much. Or, you know, I just I didn't have the level of baseball knowledge that I have now. So I, I can't tell you about his mental mistakes or lack thereof for like, you know, the first couple of years I was watching him every day. But there are a couple of things from his playing tenure that that sort of dovetail with what you're talking about, which makes him my first choice too. The first is that even though, you know, he was very famous for getting along well with the other Latino players in the clubhouse, he also formed really strong relationships with players that were not Latino. And I'm thinking specifically of his friendship with Jonathan Neese. And I know that that sounds like a minor thing, but Jonathan Neese was, is a MAGA hat hunter from the backwoods of, you know, Bumblefuck. 
and <laughs> Beltran is not that. And if he could form a friendship in the clubhouse with that guy, that leads me to believe that he could have a do a similar thing as a manager and appeal to not just one type of player. You know, we hear this all the time that clubhouses are divided and that you know not there's not always teams that that. Rather, there are teams that the language barrier determines who you eat with and travel with and all those things, you know. So I think that if Beltran can avoid that, that's a really good thing. That's a really important thing for a manager to be able to do. Um, so so there's that. He also just, I mean, if you remember, there was a big stink made when he signed that he, there was a machine that he had the Mets buy him. Do you remember this? The tennis ball machine? Oh, yeah. I remember the drill. Yeah, so the, the, there's this machine that shot tennis balls like 150 miles an hour or something like that, and they had numbers printed on them. And you weren't supposed to swing. You were supposed to just train your eye to, to identify the number of the ball coming at you because they said that that would help you identify the spin of a breaking ball or a fastball or you know, just basically help your eye at the plate. And I remember thinking, um, you know, at the time, like, wow, that's... You know, of all the signing bonus things that are out there, that's a that's a really interesting one uh, to go after. And, and but I think that, that shows you that you know he was he was very committed to his craft, and he really wanted to be the best player he could be. And if he was as a player looking for new ways to improve his game, I don't see why he wouldn't be doing the same thing as a manager. And that's something that I really appreciate. Uh, and the last thing I want to say is just. Beltran always seemed like a guy who, I mean, he had his notebook. Remember he had that notebook he used to write in? Uh, hmm, I don't remember. I remember Delgado's notebook. I don't remember. Uh, uh, am I confused? I thought he had a notebook too. He, maybe, he very well may have. And he and I very well may be conflating him with Delgado. Um, but, you know, just the idea of him being that thoughtful of a player and that considerate of a player is really appealing to me. Yeah. Uh, did, did anybody else stand out for you? Uh, on a first hand, first hand, as in you know, but from from where we sit, uh, I, I don't watch that much much ESPN. So, in that sense, uh, you know, I I, I don't know. I, people who watch ESPN probably have a better idea uh, of uh, man. There's so many names. I'm already forgetting. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say that the other ones. Hold on, I'll, I'll come back around and, and finish that point. But the rest of the candidates. Uh, my Twins fan cousin speaks highly of Derek Shelton. Okay, you know, all right, that that's that's good. That's a nice recommendation. Um, in terms of my experience watching the game. Um, Tim Bogar, former Met, no offense, but he's the first base coach for the Nationals. I'm kind of like, eh, yeah, I think he's the one guy who would bum me out. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I don't want to hear him talking all year about the Nationals' way of doing things. Like, right. We, we want to bring that winning attitude to New York. Fuck that. <clears throat> right, yeah. Um, so yeah, Bogar would kind of bum me out a little. Uh, Shelton ha- has that recommendation for somebody I know who you know who's close to me who's watched the Twins very closely, uh, and it's hard to evaluate a bench coach as a fan. But I was just going to say that, yeah, 
But uh, I, I think just being part of a, a coaching staff that formed and was very successful with the Twins this year, uh, that, that can be encouraging. Um, Eduardo Perez was the name that I was forgetting. But <laughs> it, not being an ESPN watcher, I don't really know. I, I've read about – I've read things uh, written by people who have either known him uh, yeah, more than as a guy on TV or just people who have listened to him in that role. Uh, and there's a lot to like. Yeah, a lot that sounds good. I know Eno had said he was the kind of guy who was like the mayor of whatever environment he was in. And knows everybody, friendly with everybody, uh, you know, that sort of personality. So, yeah, I, Beltran is just the guy that and, – and you never know how that transition from player to coach or manager is going to go. Um yeah, I mean, I still have a jersey of his in in one of my closets, uh, so it's it's an unfair advantage, but it, it's just the the easiest guy to to kind of have a sense of like, okay, this is what he might be like uh, if he were in charge of a team, and I, I yeah, I even Tim Bogar, I guess I'll say I wouldn't be that bummed out, but for whatever reason. Sorry, Tim. It's the one name on the list that I'm kind of just like, ah. And see, I'm starting to think that he's going to be the guy because everybody else can be there for interviews whenever. And if they still want to talk to him more, it means that they're seriously considering him. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I, um, yeah, I don't know. One thing I will say is that and maybe it's just been uh, being busy enough over the last few weeks that I haven't really minded it. But if, whether it's that or not, I, I don't really mind that the process is taking a while. I, oh, no, like it, I makes, it, it makes the postseason a little bit more uh, bearable. There's stuff to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and um, what was I going to say? The... Uh, something about the process and the time. Hmm. Well, maybe it'll come back to me, but you know, it's, uh, I, I would like them to make a decision and have somebody in place. And, uh, like by the time free agency starts, just so that there's the, Hey, so-and-so you want to play for our team? We've got this guy. He's a manager. He's, he's going to lead us. Um, You'd want that to be a pitch. Not that I expect the Mets to go and sign anybody on day one of free agency. Right, right. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I, the the one little thing I was going to say was that even though it's not something that's annoyed me, I did laugh a little bit. I got a, a chuckle out of, uh, like, the Mets are holding a third round of interviews with all the same people. <laughs> yep. And I, I wonder with Jeff Wilp- I mean, with Fred Wilpon. <laughs> Right, and and that note on the Fred Wilpon one, and this is purely speculation. Um, if if somebody wrote about it in more detail and I missed it, then I apologize. But when I saw the Fred Wilpon note, I was like, so does this mean the first interview was Brody, the second one was Jeff, and then the third one is Fred? Yes, I believe so. Uh, and that I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that's how it worked. And then they, the three of them are going to get together and make a decision. Um, 
Yeah, it's a weird world, the uh, the Little Mets universe there. It is. It's also a stupid world. <laughs> That's a whole <laughs> other story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the one thing I'll, I'll add to your conversation is you know. Eduardo Perez has a reputation for being stat-friendly, but being a broadcaster who is stat-friendly means almost nothing because there's not a lot of competition for you. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate that if they do go out and sign a former player, if there's a former player who isn't allergic to uh, sabermetrics, that would be a good thing for me. Yeah. So, so you know. Again, these are pretty low bars we're asking them to clear here. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, oh, and I guess the one other thought on this is uh, specifically regarding Joe Girardi. I wouldn't have been upset if they did hire him for the job. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't totally heartbroken over it either. Um, I thought it was a little bit odd that seemingly a large portion of the Mets fan base was up in arms over that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think he might do a fine job in Philadelphia. He might be just okay, but not watching the Yankees every day, obviously. Uh, but it just didn't seem like he was doing anything that crazy or revolutionary or whatever, uh, on the other side of town from the Mets. So. Yeah. I mean, he, he seemed, he seemed more or less fine to me. And, yeah. you know, my I think I had said this to you, sort of the only reason that I was down on Girardi versus the other candidates is, while I do think experience matters to a certain degree, I think it is easier to teach good behavior than correct bad behavior. And with someone like Girardi, who has been managing for as long as he has, he no doubt has a lot of bad habits that he'd be bringing over with him from wherever he came from. This isn't an anti-Yankee thing. This is just, I think, a reality thing. And so um, it's going to be easier for the Mets to say to somebody, listen, here's how we want to play the bullpen this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we want to sort of approach it this way. And for a new manager, that's not going to be as hard of a pill to swallow as it will be for somebody who's done it for what is it, eight, ten years, however many years he's he's managed, right? Um, so I think that that's that's the one reason I would maybe vote for somebody else. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's easy enough to. And again, like, it wouldn't have been a big deal if if it had been Girardi for me. Um, and it also it also doesn't hurt that I I always kind of like Girardi as a player. You know, how can you really hate the backup catcher? Right? It just doesn't yeah. just doesn't happen really. So uh, you know, I, I have no Girardi beef. So uh we got an email from our friend uh Andy Chapo asking us if we had any outside the box picks, but he sent it like a couple weeks ago. And at this point I don't think there are any outside the box picks anymore. Um but is there anybody that you would be delighted to see as a uh as a mystery candidate come forward? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to get creative enough when there have been so many actual people linked to the role. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's got to be something, someone entertaining. 
I, it, it would have been great if they were like, we fired Edgardo Alfonso as Cyclones manager because he's managing the Mets. Yes. I guess that would be my uh, my thing. Obviously, that's not happening. But that That's a whole other conversation that I really don't understand. I don't know why Alfonso was not brought back. And it appears that nobody knows why. Uh, supposedly, yeah. Van Wagenen did not tell him why his contract wasn't being renewed. Yeah, other than that vague line about wanting to bring in their own people or whatever. Uh, it's bizarre. Again, I, mean, it's, I don't even really know what that means, you know. I'm, yeah, and I'm not saying it's not an important part of the minor league system. Uh, some very good uh, like major league Mets have played there, but I don't think he was doing a bad job. And he, They won the championship this year. Right. Yeah, they 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 won the league. Um, it's short season ball. It doesn't seem like it's that intense in terms of what you want to get out of the manager at that level. Um, yeah, it's weird. I wonder if we'll get a little more details on that at some point or or not. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be a weird. It's a weird position to take that you, for whatever reason, want to get rid of your very famous, not famous is the wrong word, your very beloved former player who is now a manager who also happens to be winning. It's just, it, it, there, there are a lot of things to consider there, and I don't really know, I just don't really know how that's, how, how they're going to try and sell that to a fan base, but I guess... I hate to say this, but you know, it, it's there are so many other things to get mad about for the Mets <laughs> that that one I'll, I'm okay with just being vaguely irritated by it instead yeah. of getting full on mad about it. <clears throat> yeah, no, no, I I totally get that. It's going to seem like a tangent, but one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Tim Britton wrote something recently saying the Mets should be really going for it, and he talked about acquiring players like Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, uh, Mookie Betts, if the Red Sox, uh, I mean, it certainly seems they're going to do this if they start trying to just slash payroll uh, and do whatever kind of reset, rebuild, whatever the hell they want to call it, um, rather than just spending money like the Red Sox and winning some more World Series, which they could totally choose to do. Uh, but uh, so Tim wrote uh, on that topic and brought up those names. Uh, and he made a point on Twitter today to somebody who replied like, oh, like, you know who owns the Mets? Like writing this is pointless. And his rebuttal was one that I feel a lot of the time because uh, you'll get that a lot from Mets fans that, oh, they're not going to do that. So why why waste the time? Why write it? Why Why do this? And. It's something that I think we've brought up, uh, whether it's been on the site or the podcast or or both maybe, but just because it's unlikely that the people in charge are going to do it doesn't mean you shouldn't demand it. <laughs> right, yes. No, like uh, Nobody has given up talking about gun reform just because the government hasn't done anything about it yet. Right, and, and obviously it was sports, uh, you know, they're sports, much less... 
serious issue, but you, you just, uh, I don't know. It, it's entertainment. Like, imagine uh, we're, we're big Star Wars nerds uh, and super into it. Um, but whatever your favorite movie franchise may be, uh, imagine there's a new one coming out and you're like, nah, don't try for the best guys. Like, find 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 the next notch down. Like, what? You don't think that way about any other form of of entertainment, yep. right? Like, I, oh, the best? You got the best? Okay, awesome. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about that. So as a fan of a sports team, you should always demand the best. And, and I think the side effect of uh, years and years where it might not feel like Stockholm syndrome because you're, you'll still be like, Oh man, the Wilpons and you know, what, what are you going to do? Uh, like that kind of thing. Uh, if you give in to that and you think that putting it out there, that the Mets should actually go for it and make a major move and, and look to acquire one of the best players in the game, not just some other guys who, who might be good. Um, you're, you're living in this world where you start to turn your attention to uh, the high-paid player, high players who are on the roster and start to take it out on them. Yes. So I think these are all things I've thought before, and I don't think there's some major revelation or anything, but when you see that interaction between, like, ah, don't write about it, it's, it's pointless – if that's your mindset, then I at least understand how you get to the point of hating the best players on the Mets. Sure. You shouldn't. Oh, right. <laughs> you, you should step back and go like, whoa, wait, why am I, why am I taking that on him? Uh, I am sure over the course of this winter, Cespedes will be made out to be a villain uh, simply because he signed a contract that he very much earned. Uh dealt with injuries, one of which sounds like uh, it was at least self-inflicted in the sense that he was on his ranch right? Uh, out doing stuff. And I'm sure he'll be made out to be a villain because he's making a lot of money and oh, the Wilpons aren't going to spend because they have to account for his full salary. That's not his problem. No, it's not. And they'll get insurance. So right. it's not even their full problem. Right. And hey, maybe he comes to spring training in like decent shape and has, has a shot at being an awesome baseball player, which he is. Um, but yeah, that, that was my tangent. It was something that came up that, uh, I don't know. Mets fans have had a way of taking it out on the best players on the team for a long time. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about Carlos Beltran, right? That well, was... yeah, I thought, I thought of it earlier while we were talking about him. Yeah. I, I'll add to that just just two quick things, which is that they also talk about the Wilpons as if the Wilpons didn't used to be the most egregious overspenders in baseball. Like, do you folks remember all the shitty players we spent a lot of money on? <laughs> like that happened for a long time, and I'm not saying they're going to go back to that because they're probably not going to. But it to demand that they spend money now is not asking them to change their entire disposition. It's asking them to go back to what they used to do. And I feel like there is a subtle difference there. Um, let me let me say that. Second thing I wanted to say, 
was even if you look at the Wilpons and their reluctance to spend and pass and all that, ultimately the team can't afford to spend more money. The team is not out of money. The Wilpons are still billionaires. There is plenty of money to go around if they decided to go around and and try and sign some players. They're not going to do that, but that's not the same as being broke. They're not broke. They are broke by choice. They want you to think they're broke, but they are certainly not changing their lifestyle one bit to accommodate for the for them losing money in the Wilpon and in, in the uh, Madoff scandal. That's not happening. Do not feel sorry for these people. They are not worth your sympathy. They are still worth more than your entire bloodline put together, and they are still going to spend on themselves as extravagantly as they want to. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, in the instances that they have committed a large amount of money to a player in uh, the last decade or so, uh, they've done it to, they've done it with really good players. Uh, I mean, not too long before that, the players you're referencing were, were signed, were either <laughs> traded for or signed. Uh, and obviously not every allocation of salary with Van Wagenen has gone uh, smoothly so far, but uh, the big, big money guys, Johan Santana, David Wright, uh, Carlos Beltran, Cespedes to a certain extent, and then extending to Grom. In all of those cases, you were dealing with a player who was very, very, very good, if not among the best. And in most of those instances, the things that came back to bite the Mets were not things you could have seen ahead of time. Like, right. n- nobody had Cespedes breaking both of his ankles <laughs> on the list of uh, of of possible outcomes there, right? Uh, nobody had, like, career-ending spinal disorder on the bingo card. These things just weren't what you'd expect. Right, you had some of the garbage, uh, like, uh, not clutch, blah, 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 like that. That bullshit, but n- nobody, even David Wright's biggest detractors at the time of the the contract, none of them were saying like, oh, he's going to, you know, his career is going to end years early. Right, yeah. Because he's going to have a debilitating back condition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's that, I suppose. Um all right, Chris. Well, as we are recording this, I want to get the most updated info we have here. It is currently two nothing Houston, in the bottom of the sixth, for uh, game game seven of the World Series. Uh, George Springer is up with one man on and nobody out. Um, do you have a, a serious rooting interest at this point in the World Series? So coming into it, it was obviously the Astros, uh, a part of their own discussed at, at length this week the the the, the whole situation uh, of now former assistant GM berating a reporter Reporters, essentially be, uh... well, oh yeah <laughs> several but specifically because one had been critical of yes. the Astros for acquiring Roberto Osuna under the circumstances they did uh, 
so that whole incident definitely was like it, it, it put a bad taste in your mouth. You I, I still think the owner and GM and anybody else who's involved in the way the Astros responded to, to, to that, it just awful. And you hate to think that they're going to be super uh, ecstatic if, if their team wins. But as I've been watching the series and it's gone along, uh, I can't root for the Nationals to win. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm in the exact same boat. I feel like such a fucking dirtbag for rooting yeah. for the uh, the, Ast- the Astros at this point. But I just I, I literally cannot bring myself to root for the Nationals. Yeah, so that that's where I'm at. Um, and even the day that all this stuff went down, I think you know the story came out. The Astros put out the brutal, terrible statement. <laughs> yep, <laughs> discrediting it very, very quickly. Um, so that next day, somebody had tweeted, like, "Oh, I see." Uh, not like in a mean way, but I like I see a lot of people trying to moralize their their rooting interests in the World Series uh, and, and made a point. I forget what it was specifically about some shady, unethical thing the Nationals did at, at some point in the recent past. Uh, and, and just making the point that, like, if you dig deep enough, you might be able to find something to hate about every organization in baseball. Yes. Which is its own depressing idea. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and certainly sounds like it has plenty of truth to it. Um, but yeah, that, that point, I guess, uh, kind of stood out enough that I remember it uh, a week, week and a half later. But sure. yeah, I would prefer that the Astros win. And they do have a lot of players. Uh, I mean, right now, hopefully, given given my preference here in the World Series. Hopefully Granke, uh, if he's if he's still in the game beyond this inning, but you know, he's throwing a six scoreless. It would be one cool. Hitter. What's that? Well, you've up one hit so far, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm not saying it has to be a complete game, but just a dominant start from him where he had a little bit of a rocky time in the playoffs so far this year. Uh, like, I feel like that would be a good thing. He's always been a guy to root for. He's gotten too much shit for his his own uh his mental health issues that you know as an observer uh, in, in a baseball observer seems like he's handled them pretty well because he's been a damn good pitcher and and you know those things have not really affected his performance uh but people have opinions about him because of the way he responds when he speaks to the press or uh, you know, in particularly shitty example, you heard about a Yankees fan berating him for, for those things. Uh, so something like that feels good. Uh, like, hey, Zach Granke got to shut a lot of people up. And he's a guy who's openly talked about things that he's dealt with. And, you know, he's not always one to talk for a long time, but... He, he hasn't just been silent on it either. So as a guy who's out there dealing with things and and uh, and all that, it would be pretty cool if he was the guy who pitched the gem that won the World Series in Game 7. Yes, absolutely. I agree uh, with that 
I also yeah, think. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought first. Uh, oh yeah, the, the only other Astro-related thing I, I said at the time was, you know, however MLB investigates the whole Astros incident and response to it. They, like one thing you can do is just tell Crane and Lundhow, like, mm, if you win, you're not in the celebration. Like, you're you're not going to be the ones who get up on the pedestal and get the trophy and all that. Like, take a hike, let the players do it. But I know that never in a million years would that happen. But that was just my idea of at least showing some sense of uh, awareness about everything, and then deciding what other discipline you might hand out. But I know I'm dreaming to think that the league would tell an owner not to take the trophy. Yeah. Um, we can dream. We yeah. can try. Um, but, yeah, no, I I, um, I agree with everything you said. I also think that I'm a fan of process, and you really can't, you really can't knock the Astros for their process. You know they they went for the complete teardown, and while the Mets will never do that, it's nice to be. It's nice to see a team that that took a step back and handled things rationally and logically. Put together a sustainable winner, and it just makes me wish for competent ownership for the Mets. So, um, I can't root for the Nationals. You know, I watched the game last night, and that call with Trey Turner was bullshit. That was a bullshit call, and it took forever, and it was stupid from the outset. But then they showed him that that motherfucker who looks like he should be playing Spider Man in a new movie. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't feel sorry for him. Just couldn't do it. I hate that guy. I just don't like the Nationals. I'm sorry. I, I know we disagree on this. The Nationals are my most hated team in baseball mm, right now. Yeah. Um, Especially in the division, hate them, can't take them. I would have rooted for the Yankees over the Nationals. Yeah, that, that's something I'm, gl- I'm glad I didn't have to decide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the Yankees overall were a more likable team. Like if I if you t- took out the whole Mets fan Yankee fan interaction and all that, if you just said, "All right, here's here's the team," but I don't know, they, they've got their issues too. Yes. <laughs> They also acquired a closer at a discounted price because he had a domestic violence suspension. Yes. So, yeah, but the you're not. It's hard to find a perfect roster in that I mean, sense. The so. Mets had a couple of domestic abusers on the team, so yeah. this is something we're we're used to, unfortunately. Well, I mean, the Mets had an incident of domestic abuse directed at a not not father-in-law because they weren't married, but it, essentially a father-in-law from a current player in their clubhouse. Yes, <laughs> and had the player detained in their own stadium by the police. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, but you know, strictly, I, I can't stand them when they're playing the Mets and generally throughout the season, but. Uh, Judge, Torres, even Gregorius. Um, who else? CC, even though obviously these weren't his best years recently, he, he kind of he figured it out. He wasn't his old self, but he was a decent pitcher. Yeah. Uh, seemingly stand-up dude. And uh, I don't know. It's hard to be like, oh, I hated CC Sabathia. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, all that stuff. I 
I could see it. I don't know if I would have landed on that, but I, I could see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, it's time for our music picks. Chris, lay one on me, buddy. All right. So I'm going to see how long of a streak I can do with these picks of it being a band that we saw at Desert Days. Is this the first one? Have We, we haven't recorded since then, right? Uh, correct. We haven't uh-huh. recorded since then. And I mean, I... I I think I certainly uh, made recommendations for bands your, that played there. Your last pick was Ty Siegel. Yeah, yeah. So he he was not there this year, um, but they they got cute uh, the festival in a good way. They had three bands, two of which are called Witch. Uh, <laughs> one is a band with Jay Maskus on drums. Yep. Um, they haven't made a record in. in like a decade. So it was really cool that they were there. Uh, the other one we intend to cause havoc W I T C H with <laughs> periods in between, uh, an old Zamrock band. Um, it, the lead dude whose name I, I should remember at this point, but he was there with, and then it's a bunch of musicians who they hired, you know, they, they found people to, to be able to play this music and man, they did it right. Um, but, those two, we might get back to them. But the third band with which in the title is Frankie and the Witch Fingers. Okay. Uh, nobody in the band is named Frankie. <laughs> uh, the, the story that I read after the fact was that they were hanging out with a cat and under the influence of s- certain things. And, and uh, the cat was Frankie. And uh, so there you go. Uh, that, that was the band name. Uh, seeing them at Desert Days, I described them as if... Theoses or OCs, as they currently are calling themselves. Uh, but if OCs and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard had a band baby, it'd be these guys. That is uh, literally the best thing I could think of for you. Like, <laughs> that is how I would describe what you want out of the world. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, just on stage, they were so much fun to watch, and the music was good. Um, and we liked them so much that we already saw them again. They had a show in Brooklyn. <laughs> in Brooklyn um, uh, at a little venue called the Sultan room. It was a $12 show, like no brainer to go. And, uh, and they were great. I mean, they're still, at, you know, like doing their own March, like the lead due to the band is doing the March before and after their set. Uh, it was just super, you know, down to earth. And I like, I know they're not headlining Madison square garden or whatever, but you can, even at that point you can tell who is like full of themselves and who's not. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so combine all that. It's my long explanation. They're a blast to watch, uh, in person. Um, and the record they put out this year is called Zam. Uh, so I don't know if that, I, I assume there's some nod to Zamrock, but I could be wrong. Um, for those who aren't aware, tell us what Zamrock is. So I, I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but basically it was uh, like a, a style of rock music coming out of Zimbabwe in the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's literally all I know. <laughs> but it's it's like a funky, fuzzy uh, thing, and it, it. I guess if you just listen to the music, you could probably categorize it with certain other parts of rock. Um, you know, from other parts of the world, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. Um, 
So it's cool, really insightful stuff there by me. But <laughs> but yeah, whether whether or not that was related to the album title, uh, the record's called Zam. Came out this year. Um, you know, it's on Spotify and presumably everything else. And yeah, I I strongly recommend it. Uh, the live show is great, and and I've enjoyed listening to the record. Well, so uh, with with that, yeah, I'm definitely gonna check that out. And I have changed my. I, I asked. We never talk about what our picks are before the show, pretty much. But I thought that maybe we'd pick the same thing, so I asked you beforehand. But I'm changing my answer now, um, because I was I was just scrolling through my Spotify for the last few days, and I realized something I really want to talk about. So. Um, I am constantly freaked out by how well Spotify knows me. Like, Spotify will recommend things for me that I've never heard of, and I listen to it. I'm like, why am I just hearing about this guy now? You know, what the hell, Spotify? How do you know <laughs> me so well? So there's a uh, there's a jazz musician whose name is Slim Gallard, or Gaylord. I never heard it pronounced. G-A-I-L-L-A-R-D. He died back in 91, and he was... Uh, Depending if you listen to him or the facts, he's either from Cuba or Detroit. He said Cuba. Everyone seems to think Detroit is where he's actually from. Um, But he played guitar and piano and xylophone, and he invented his own language (laughs) called Vout or Rene, and he made a dictionary of this. He used to sell at shows, like in the 50s. He would sell his dictionary. And so he sang in this, like, made-up language sometimes. Um, And apparently he would play the piano with his hands upside down. So, like, playing with his knuckles instead of his fingertips. I love it. I love all of this. I haven't even gotten to the best fucking part yet. Okay, so (laughs) I'm just going to read you a a paragraph from his Wikipedia page, okay? Yeah. At the age of 12, he accompanied his father on a world voyage and was accidentally left behind on the island of Crete. On a television documentary, he said, When I was stranded in Crete, I was only 12 years old. I stayed there for four years. I traveled on the boats to Beirut and Syria and learned to speak the language and the people's way of life. After learning a few words of Greek, he worked on the island making shoes and hats. He then joined a ship working in the Mediterranean ports, mainly Beirut, where he picked up some knowledge of Arabic. When he was 15, he recrossed the Atlantic, hoping the ship would take him home to Cuba. But it was bound for the U.S., and he ended up in Detroit. He never saw either of his parents again. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So to get, I just looking at, like, real quick... Uh... You know, just the the card that comes up on Google. So he was born in 1911, so 12 yes. years old, 1923. Yes. I guess that's something that could happen in 1923. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but how? <laughs> there's still a part of me that, like, what? what? Yeah. And, but it's, I mean, it seems like this guy was a major raconteur, so maybe he made all this shit up, right? If he oh, did, yeah. good for him. Like, I, 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 I ain't mad at that whatsoever. Um but so uh, there's a compilation that Verve put out uh, a couple of years ago called Laughing in Rhythm, The Best of the Verve Years by Slim Gaylord. And uh, some of these songs are just so cool. They're funky and they're funny. And they have this like great uh, sh- like slinky shuffle rhythm to them. There's a song in particular called, uh, it, if, you're, if you look at it, it looks like it's Yip Rock Heresy. But he kind of sings it Yip Rock Harisi, and uh, it's so good. It's 
I, it's been in my head for like 10 days straight now. And I just love finding these weirdo characters. There's a four-hour BBC documentary about him, and I'm trying to find four hours of my life I can carve out to watch it. Because this guy just seems amazing. But just everybody out there, just Google, and we're going to do this together, Slim Gaylord Piano. And watch a video of him playing the piano. It's the craziest thing you're going to see today. Um, it's it, it's just, it, it's super cool and super weird. And uh, yeah, you should, everybody should check it out. He's literally playing the piano at times with his fingers. He has the biggest hands you've ever seen, by the way. His hands look like they're fake. It's like he's wearing fake hands on top of his regular hands. And at times he turns them upside down to play with his knuckles. It's... Are you are you watching him play the piano right now? <laughs> no, not yet. I, oh, okay. I'm going to. You should definitely. Do Unfortunately, it. I watched the Nationals take the lead in the seventh. Motherfuck, you serious? Yeah, two run home run. Uh, <sighs> Kendrick, I think it was. Off Will Harris, it looks like. Yeah, that took Granky out. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Game's not over. No, it's not. One, one run game, and the Nationals do still have a bullpen. Yes, that's true. If they go to it, uh, you know. Yeah. Anyway, despite that depressing bit of news, Slim Gaylord is my my pick for this week. Gaylord, I have no idea how to pronounce his last name, but check it out. It it it's the most fun thing I found the last week or two. So let's go with that. <sighs> anyway, thanks for listening, folks. By the time you're hearing this tomorrow morning, I am sincerely hoping that the. Uh, Nationals have blown this, but we shall see. Um, in the meantime, go to AmazingAvenue.com. We are still wrapping up our uh, season review series. Uh, I have a piece on Jason Vargas going up tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be starting our free agent profile soon. Next week, we'll start the AAOP. Actually, tomorrow starts the AAOP, right? Uh... Something like that. Yeah, soon, soon. Some, we'll, sometime in the next few days. The yeah, Amazing we'll Avenue off-season plan contest. You should all enter it. We have some fun prizes to give away. And, uh, and yeah, it's always a fun time to try and guess what the Mets will do in the off-season. Um, you can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us. You can email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can find each of us on Twitter. Chris is at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Uh, we're all going to go and root for the Astros now. And so uh, until next time, let's go.